You are now listening to Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gap. Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. Large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims and killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them, and that he was also a necrophiliac. Hey, welcome into another episode of Grinding True Crimes. This is a different intro, minus Maddie Matt, and also minus Gabby Gab, as they had a death in the family, and they will be out about a week or two. So I'm just giving you a heads up on that, or to whenever they're feeling them much better. So shout out and uh, thoughts and prayers to them. Uh, but I have a special guest here It's going to fill in. Uh, I told them we could wait. We didn't have to make another show, but uh, they want to keep the content going. And, uh, you know, life happens, they said. And uh, so I recruited my good friend, Randy Yaws. Say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. Uh, unfortunately, under these circumstances, uh, that kind of sucks. But, you know, I'm glad to be here to keep the show going. And I uh, appreciate you for having me, Todd. And thoughts and prayers go out to Maddie, Matt, and Gabby Gab and their family. Thank you so much, Randy. And Randy's a good contributor. He's, if you've seen any of our stuff on YouTube, that's all him. He does amazing work. He's on a football podcast called One Jets Pod. So if you like Jets football or just football in general, he's got a lot of content over there too. You could check him out uh, over there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But he's also a true crime fan. And uh, and this is going to be just like any other story that Matt would do. And I'm hearing for the first time or Gabby or myself. You know, uh, so it's going to be a, another reactionary show and uh, we'll have a couple probably fill ins in between uh, till they get back. I might have Randy come on again. So if you like what you hear, put that in the comments as well. So with that being said, Randy, uh, we, we got oh one other thing of housekeeping uh, for March. The merchandise is uh, the merch is going to be out there and we are going to be doing some Patreon episodes. So be on the lookout at. For that, if you're not a Patreon at Podbean, the uh, the link is in the description. You might want to check that out, and uh, you could become a uh, you know a partner with us and help us. And obviously, Randy came up with a good idea the other day when he told me, "Hey, you know what? Patreon members should you know if they have an idea for an upcoming show, a case for you to guys you know fi- uh, a case to to work on or do." Well, they get first of the line, you know, because we we have a, a bunch of them already stacked up. But uh, if you're a Patreon, that shoots you to the top, and that's a great idea, Randy. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, you see a lot. You see a lot of perks like that with Patreon, and uh, and if and if the Streamyard pans out for you, uh, it could be a thing where or your Patreon members can maybe get a bonus video show. Oh, yeah, video. Yeah. <laughs> I think they would love that. See the see the reaction. See their actual faces when they make reactions and stuff. <laughs> you know that I mean, is in your face when you're doing the Johnsons. I love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> All the voices and everything. Yeah. Oh. You know, if you if you if you check out the most Google question about grinding true crime, it's like, what do we have any pictures of what they look like? That's what it is. So, <laughs> <There you laughs> never been there on camera, go. so there you go. Yeah. So let's get started, shall we, with a case, the housekeeping Absolutely. out the way. Uh, we are going to venture to Middle America, which is Oklahoma City around that area like the mays county oklahoma which is on the eastern northeastern side of the state gotcha okay um and then we're going to focus in on mays county which uh, they have a population of about just under forty thousand today um now if you you've watched yellowstone before right randy absolutely okay yellowstone it's you know some of the, the protagonists towards the the family there is is Native Americans. And there's that relationship of, you know, you've been on our ground, you know, the, there's that racial divide. Right. 
And that's going to play a part into our story tonight because 68% of that county is white uh, and 20 to 25% of it is Native American. And if you know your U.S. history or you haven't touched up on it, if you're outside the country, uh, Native Americans are obviously here first before Anglo-Americans came over or, you know, Europeans, everything else like that. Um, and, and there was a brief time where we had that Thanksgiving where we shared the nation. And then short, short, <laughs> you know, after a while, you know, people get greedy and they started taking chunks. They started losing land and it can, I can go on and on about what happened to those poor people and about, you know, the wars that went between the native Americans and the Americans and the fight for supremacy, everything. Right. And in certain parts of this country, there's reservations and just like in Yellowstone, they have their own police department, their own fire department, their own hospitals because of the casinos and everything else like that. And those they've brought their people up and they're basically a nation within a nation. So that that is police of whatever county or state sometimes has to ask. Well, most of the time has to ask for permission to go into those reservations if there's a crime committed outside of it and they go back into the reservation for hiding yep. so keep that in mind later for the story too because that will play a part okay and, um so so with that being said i'm just setting up uh everything as we get along are you, you ready to hear this uh true crime story i'm ready, ready. there you go uh well let's start it off here um because in in, in one more thing before we start there is a lot that goes on that, you know, some some Native Americans will commit crimes in U.S. territory and, you know, they'll still be, be backed by their Native American brethren, their families, uh, the tribe. And then the same thing with whether it's white, black or whatever, and they commit a crime in the reservation, you know, they back each other mostly, you know, and it, it just causes a divide. There's a certain amount of people that want to keep the two you know, uh, groups together or just live, try to live in unity. But more, more often than not, that is not the case. So as we get started here, this case is going to take us back in the way back machine to the eighties. Yeah. So, uh, let's see, let's start out here. Um, we all know of the, uh, of girl scouts, right? How popular they are. Boy scouts in America. Yeah, it's it's uh they they do a lot of summer camps. They do um uh what it called the they do a lot of like uh camping, a lot of things to teach uh kids morals and have a good time summer camps. Uh you know, uh, wilderness hikes, uh treating other people right. They get merit badges for that uh um so it's it's one of those things that you know, it's it's good for kids from the ages of what 8 to 13 you would say something like that yeah yeah so this is actually not the 80s we're going to go back to 1977 i'm sorry yeah a little further back yeah um we're going to talk about uh three girls and the first one is Lori farmer who lived in the tulsa oklahoma area and um she had been going to school that year and she asked her mom because a few of her friends were going to a camp in that part of Mays County. And so they decided, you know, enough, you know, she would bug them all, you know, during the school year. Hey, the recruiters coming down. They're going to do a camp. It's going to be fun. And, you know, her mom, you know, she's eight years old and her mom is leery about letting her go to a camp. But some other parents were like, hey, you know, our kids are going to go and, you know, there's a lot from her school that are going to go. So nothing ever happens. So she agreed upon it. Right. Okay. And uh, over 100 kids left for Camp Scott on June 12th, early morning, uh, 1977. And Lori's mother told the bus driver, please call the house and, and wrote down her phone number and said, please call the house when you guys arrive because she was very paranoid on the long, you know, hour and a half trip 
that the kids were taking that maybe the bus would break down or they'd have lo and behold something scary like a a crash or something right an accident so the driver oh, I, know, and, I got a feeling she should have trusted her good well that, <laughs> oh man yeah that's obviously we're talking and she should have went with her gut and that's and that's a shout out to all parents right randy yeah, like absolutely if you've got a gut feeling about something something doesn't feel right it's usually not right right yeah absolutely absolutely so in that case um everyone gets you know on the bus they take the long trip um they get there to the camp the instructor and one of the instructors and the bus driver called Lori's mom and said, hey, because she wasn't the only parent that was concerned. So it's hard to let your little kids go out like that. Especially that young. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think about it, Randy. I mean, what would you do if you had if your kid was going to go on a camping trip first time away from you for a good two to four weeks? I mean, could you handle that? Uh, I'd probably be a wreck. I'd probably yeah. follow the bus just to make sure they got there safe. <laughs> yeah and they call the parents they're good <laughs> yeah exactly i mean that's it, it's 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 a lot of paranoia i mean sure. when your kids are first Absolutely. gone like that yeah so um the kids got there they got there safe they made the phone calls back to the parents Lori was satisfied with the phone call and everything and the first day of camp you have a setup to where you you got these picture this they're not in bungalows they're they're like in this wide open field but it has like activities. There's a um, there's a wooded forest area to the the southeast of of the um, the camp. There's a lake that they're going to have water activities. There's hiking trails. There's going to be all kinds of um, you know uh, you know building activities as as groups, uh, sports. Uh, so they've got you know they've got these next few weeks you know like booked with all kinds of stuff. There's um, bathrooms and showers on site, but they're in these like tents with this extra covering over the top for weather conditions. Gotcha. So kind of like huts, kind of. So Lori's group, you know, most of the girls part of the girl scout area was, uh, they put four to a tent or a bungalow, whatever you want to call it. And Lori's group, uh, consisted of herself, uh, Michelle Gus, who was uh, nine years old, and Denise Milner, who was 10. So these three little girls are, you know, the only one in tent eight with three girls, not four. So somehow that came about. It was an odd number. Um, Tent eight, where do you think that tent was in location of the camp? If you had to guess. I'm going to guess near the woods. Correct. And <laughs> unfortunately, closest to the edge of the outs, outermost part of the, the camp. So basically the back of the camp. Correct. Oh, Correct. Jeez. That's like that's that's like that's like the, the table by the bathroom in a restaurant. It's where you don't want to be. <laughs> exactly. And they're they're a good a hundred yards from the shower area. So oh, they're like, yeah, they're on the outer skirts for some reason. They're they're out there. Um, so with that being said, um, they're not towards the middle where you'd want to be more clustered. Um, so uh, at this point, it's around seven o'clock at night. Um, they had to actually stop activities early because a storm came in. And if you know the Oklahoma area, they get a lot of tornadoes, a lot of severe weather during the spring and summer times. And uh, this was not a tornado or nothing, but this was just a real heavy thunderstorm, a lot of rain. So the kids were told, hey, you know what? Tonight, uh, Every night, keep a journal of your experience here in the camp. I want you to write to somebody and, you know, date it. And that was like their assignment, but they had to do it earlier because usually they would tell them to do it before lights out. But they're doing it around 7 o'clock and lights out like around 9 o'clock. So. Okay, gotcha. So the girls wrote letters and uh, on June 12th, 1977, around like 7.45, like I said, close to 8 o'clock. <clears throat> and um, I'm going to read each one of their letters, okay? okay? So this is Lori's letter. 
and it reads as follows, and I quote, Dear Mom and Dad, and Misty and Joe, and Chad and Kathy, we're just getting ready to go to bed. It's 745. We're at the beginning of a storm and having a lot of fun. I've met two new friends, Michelle Gus and Denise Milner. I'm sharing a tent with them, and it started to rain on the way back from dinner. We're sleeping in cots. I, sh- I couldn't wait to write. We're all writing letters now because there's hardly anything else to do. With love, Lori. So that's little Lori at eight years old. That's pretty good for an eight-year-old, right? Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Now here's Michelle's letter. She's nine years old. She says, <clears throat> Dear Aunt Karen, how are you? I'm fine. I'm riding from camp. We can't go outside because it's storming. Me and my tent mates are in the last tent in our unit. My tent mates are Denise Milner and Lori Farmer. My room is shades of purple. Love, Michelle. That's the nine-year-old. Now, here's Denise. Now, it is speculated that she was kind of scared of lightning and thunder. And there was a lot of that going on. So you'll hear it right here, what she's writing. Um, she says, Dear Mom, I don't like camp. It's awful. The first day, it is raining. I have three new friends named Glenda, Lori, and Michelle. Michelle and Lori are my roommates. Mom, I don't want to stay in camp for two weeks. I want to come home and see Cassie and everybody. Love, Denise. So the reason why I write or, or why I read their letters is because this is the last correspondence they will ever make. You're kidding. No. Oh, man. Yeah. And to um, read that the last thing your daughter wrote was she was not having a fun experience. Yeah. You know. And wait, and before we go on, I, I just want to ask this. If it's a stupid question, I do apologize. In these... I guess you call them tent setups or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that the the girls are, and the kids are in there. Are counselors in there too? They're not in the tents with them. No, the counselors have their own areas. That's a good question. That's a, a very that's a little weird to me because I've been in, I used to go to camp when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and, and and there was always either either like you know four or five of us kids in there, but there would always be a counselor too. No, see, they were set up around the kids, sort of oh. like in a perimeter, but oh, okay. they they weren't in the actual tent or hut that these kids were in. Gosh. They were they were roughing it by themselves. Okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird when you see the pictures. Like but they oh, were close by to the kids, though. Yeah, they were within okay. shouting distance okay. for sure. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> no, that's that's good. Oh, yeah, stuck them out there all by themselves overnight. Right, journals, kids. Goodbye. See you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't bother us. We're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now they 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 literally um they did have you know counselors that were there that were intense that were keeping an eye I guess out for things because again they're in the middle of a of a little literal campsite but it has a lake they're in the wilderness I mean. They're not, there's not a McDonald's down the street or something, you know? Right. So, yeah. So, um, the weather stayed violent to about two in the morning or so. Wow. Right. One of the camp counselors, um, <clears throat> named Carla, uh, went to around, I guess about, uh, yeah, about two, two thirty, as she said, heard some noises after the rain had stopped some breaking of branches and she kind of got this weird feeling like, Oh no, you know, like there's, is that an animal? Is that a deer? Is it a coyote? You know, like, like there's, there's certain animals out there that, you know, could cause harm to the kids. Not saying a deer would, but you know, she's just curious. So she, you know, she, wherever she heard the noise, she points her flashlight and doesn't see anything. And then, and the noise stops and then there's and then as she turns to walk away she hears some more breaking of branches some screeching and some other weird noises and she turns around again goes a few more feet towards the woods shines a light in there a few more times nothing and as she's doing that it's it goes silent again 
So then she just decides, hey, you know, it's it's some deer, it's some small animal, maybe it could be a raccoon, whatever. <clears throat> and she makes her way back to her tent. And keep that in mind. So um, with the rain stopped and everything, Carla goes back to her her um, her tent. And then it's about six in the morning, bro. What do you think she sees? Let's see if you can guess this. Uh, she's coming out of her tent at six in the morning. Six in the morning, yeah. And she's facing the woods. She's heading. She's heading past tent eight where the girls were to the showers. She's going to try to take an early morning shower before all the kids get up. Okay. I'm guessing she sees the tent wide open, which isn't normal. That's a good guess. She wasn't that attentive, though. No, no play on words right there. But she, um, she walks past the tent. She doesn't see it. Although she did, she would have peered in and saw something that we're going to talk about here in a second. Okay. But she, she goes up towards the shower area, which is all muddy still from the rain. She's making her way up there, and she sees a sleeping bag just barely off the side of the pathway. Hmm. When she walks up to the, the, the um, sleeping bag, because it's dark still, you know, sun's just barely coming up through the clouds. Um, she thinks that, you know, maybe someone threw it out as a prank, um, you know, or, or it blew out from the wind, from the storm. Mm-hmm. But she goes up to it and there's young Denise Milner face down in the, the sleeping bag still, but bound on her hands. She's tied up and her, and her ankles are tied up as well. Oh, freaking way. She tries to touch her to see if she's breathing and... There's no pulse. She rolls her over. It's apparent that she's dead. And she... Her hand, her hand tied behind her back, you said? Tied behind her back, yeah. Oh, poor thing. And I'll get into more details about her. Now, she goes and rings the alarm. She rings the bell. All the counselors come out. And the, the main guy says, hey, we need to uh, get a head count. Each, each member, grab a tent, check it out. They get to most of the tents, and as the person is checking tent eight, it's in shambles. There's stuff strewn everywhere. There's a bloody footprint, and the girls are not there. And they realize that's the only tent that had three girls. It doesn't take too much searching, Randy, for them to go outside of the tent, sort of in the brush area, to find two more sleeping bags with the other two girls in it, Lori and Michelle. Gee, were they bound too? They were not bound, but they were strangled to death. Oh my god! So, and that's tough, you know. Like, like this, this is a tough case because, um, you know, this one involves children, and I should have warned you guys at the start of the show, but you know, this one is 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 tough to listen to because these are three girls not living anywhere close to a long life snubbed out so early and uh, this is going to make you mad moving forward but automatically they call the police and when the police find out it's a triple homicide you know they call in everyone from from the state of Oklahoma's police force including the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation which they have their own type of FBI they came out in droves, over a hundred police officers, wow. and and the OSBI, and automatically they decided to grab the buses, get the kids out of there right away, get them out of there. It's a huge crime scene, Good. so that's that's exactly what they did. Uh, what do you, what do you think? You know, was told to the mother of Lori, who got the phone call from. The very instructor she told to let me know when my daughter gets there safely. What do, what do you think the phone call she got? Oh, man. I mean, they found their daughter dead. I mean, I figured you have to tell her. Like, you can't beat that around the bush. I mean, you have to be straight up like 6 o'clock, dude. Like, and I can't imagine how she took that. Well, here's the thing, bro. You would think. 
But literally, the camp counselor called and told her that Lori died. That's it. Not that she was murdered. So Lori's mom has no idea because they won't give her any details, and she's figuring it was some sort of accident. The other two girls' moms weren't even notified till the next day. Oh my lord! Yeah. And these are the and this is the these are the this is the camp notifying the parents. Correct. And the police weren't fast to share the details either. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can were... understand not not sharing details with 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 the camp itself, but man, the parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a right to know. They were notified um, that something went down and to come pick up your kids because they were busing all, you know, 100 or some some uh, more than 100. It was, I think it was like 120 kids. They were busing them back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So they were I mean, saying. I, I yeah. can't imagine what's going on through all those parents' heads during that time. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> imagine if they had not told any of the family members by the time the buses got back. You would have three families there waiting for their kids that aren't coming back. Yeah. So imagine how, imagine how many of those kids probably never were allowed to go back to another camp again. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't let my kid out of my sight. Oh, I'm with you, brother. <laughs> One hundred. Yeah. yeah. So um, unless I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Um. So they they um they realized right away that at least Milner. The ten-year-old Denise Milner had been sexually assaulted. Oh no! Of she, yeah, she um she had her underwear down, and um she also had been like strangled to death very violently and beaten as well. So someone took this out on an innocent child. Now. <clears throat> that was the first reaction from what they could get and what they saw about the little 10-year-old. <clears throat> now, as they're searching and they found the other two girls, they're processing the crime scene. They found a flashlight, like one of those flood flashlights that you would hold with a big handle. Yep. <clears throat> it was wrapped up with some newspaper from a few months back. Oh, that's the and, and it, it had... It also had a um, where it had a small hole, like like you know how the, like the light bulbs like that big, they oh, yeah. made it they made it like a the salt size of a small like you know um, bouncy ball. So they, they taped up the the flashlight with newspaper and masking tape, so that it would narrow the the beam of the light so it wouldn't be so bright. Oh, I see. Yeah. And uh, they found this very weird, but the flashlight was there, and they were like, okay. And, uh, you know, they, they saw the newspaper because they, they took it apart a little bit, and they were just trying to look for it. And then they were asking the camp counselors, was there anything weird happening? And keep this in mind for later because more will come out. But at this point, one of the camp counselors said, hey, I'm missing a pair of sunglasses. You know, I bought these expensive sunglasses. And they went missing last night. So they're like, well, maybe someone stole them. And are you sure? And they kept checking. And then they couldn't. They looked through the entire camp and the sunglasses were gone. He had the case for them and they were gone. So they're like, well, whoever maybe stole those sunglasses, you know, maybe is the killer here. And they've got they've got a lead on who it is. And here's a problem that police would find out, too. And the OSBI would um, would find out there had been open threats and letters found the prior spring and this spring in the camp about killing kids or harming those at the campsite. By who? Just anonymous little letters or notes that were left around the campsite. Well, I tell you right now, homeboy talking about the glasses missing already making me suspicious. Well, so so what? You gonna tell me you're gonna find some glasses in the woods, there, brother? Why? Well, I mean, think about this too. If if you have a camp, and you know, with filled with kids, and you're getting death threats, you know, whether they're coming from inside the camp, you know, twisted counselor, 
or someone that lives close by the camp, that's a problem. You might want to report that, right? Exactly. Nobody reports Maybe heighten the security there. Yes. No, No extra security is hired, Randy, and nobody reports any of these incidents. So the Johnsons are running the camp. Yes, they are. The Johnsons. They're oh, all... That's amazing, brother. That is amazing. And it sucks because there's kids involved because you don't want the Johnsons like, hey, these kids are fine. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to drink some moonshine. <laughs> you know, you don't want that, you know? Wow. But. Like, you, like, I can understand if you're an adult and somebody's threatening you and you don't want to take it serious. Fine. That is you. But when you've got hundreds of children involved, you take the littlest threat freaking uh, serious. Absolutely. Especially that age, dude. Yep. I mean, you report that to somebody, whether even if you can't go to the cops, you report that to a higher up, and a higher up needs to report it to the authorities, man. Like, that's amazing that they would not report something like that when yep. it comes to children. That is amazing. It's it, They totally dropped the ball, and there's exactly. a lot of that in this in this case. Um, so you have – you have police, you have firefighters, you have OSBI, you have some military that come in. They're, they're looking throughout. The entire community's pissed off and on edge. You know, they're scared. They're, they're angry. They want to, they you know, uh, lynch whoever did this, you know, or, or send them to the electric chair. People are pissed. Oh, yeah. And because all the details are out now a couple days later, and there's a squirrel farmer, of all people, that he's hunting squirrels because that's what they do in Oklahoma and he comes upon a cave you know behind these rocks an entryway and he goes in there and he finds some interesting stuff so he calls the police and the OSBI and everyone comes out there and they check it out and lo and behold they find masking tape discarded food they find a newspaper that when they matched it Forensically to the newspaper that was wrapped around the flashlight, it was a dead match. Huh. They find a sleeping bag in there. They find a pair of sunglasses that <laughs> were I knew it. That were tracked back to the campsite. And they're wondering who this person could be. And then they find two pictures. Two pictures of women. And they're thinking, are these murder victims? You know, we have to find out who these women are. You know, are how are they associated to this cave? On the back of the, the paper, because again, this is 1977. You actually have to take film rolls to certain camera places to get developed unless you know how to develop yourself. Oh, yeah. I remember those days. Yeah. These these uh, pictures, Randy, had time, time stamps on them and also... Oh, yeah where it was produced and it was produced from a local jail wait yeah what these two pictures of these women that were taken from a private camera were developed in a local prison just miles from the incident so wait yeah Prisons develop photos. Apparently, this one did. Uh, apparently, this one did, and and under an hour. Well, I don't know if it was under an hour. I don't, I don't know if they had a kiosk. Just, just checking, just checking. <laughs> I don't know if they had a kiosk inside the wow, prison. Wow, that's a, that's that's kind of funky to me, but okay. Yeah, and I so mean, it was nineteen seventy, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, the, who knows what was fine back then? Right. But here's the thing: they were able to track it down to who developed them. And it came back to Jean Leroy Hart, who was an inmate and a Native American of the Cherokee Nation. So that's where that comes into play from the beginning, because he is a guy with a long, long history of crap and crime and just a degenerate Calling all true crime fans. Are you looking for the ultimate platform to dive deep into the world of true crime stories? Look no further. We are thrilled to invite you to our YouTube channel. 
where you can catch up on captivating discussions and exciting stories. But that's not all. So don't be a Johnson. Follow us on Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, where you can listen to our engaging and thrilling shows. And here's a little secret. Liking and subscribing to our channel, as well as leaving us a review and a five-star rating not only brings you endless bone-chilling entertainment, but also helps us out tremendously. So, 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 grab your significant other, grab some snacks, and come join us here at the Grinding True Crime Podcast. Enjoy the show. But... There was a couple cases prior to to this case where a couple white men had raped a Native American woman and got away with it. And there's all this animosity at the time right here because they're saying they're protecting their people over our people. We deserve similar rights. So this entire community is on edge because a reservation, Randy, is only a half mile from the campsite. So now you have people pointing fingers at the res and it's, it's getting ugly. So the, yeah, the community's all up in arms. Now let's talk about, and especially when they, they name him as a suspect that really pisses off the native Americans. Oh, I bet. So Gene Leroy Hart was born in 1943 in that reservation in uh, just outside of Oklahoma city. He was good until the age of about 16 or so. He grew up without a father. His mom raised him. He played high school football and was apparently pretty good. But because of his armed robbery and petty theft at the ages of 17 and 18, drinking and getting into uh, fights, um, he could have had a scholarship, but it was denied. His grades hit the crapper, and basically he threw away his future. So, um, in his senior year, he started to have a lot of problems. His father would come back into their lives. He would have run-ins with him and, uh, didn't really work out. Um, he had many, many run-ins if it wasn't with American police department or white department, it was the tribal Indians. He was going back and forth. So this guy had a, a bad name in the community. Well, he's just an SOB. He is. He is. And it's going to be even worse right here because now this one is kind of weird, Randy. So follow me on this one. This is 1966 and and we're going back here. He's at the age of 23 years old and he's done nothing with his life, bro. Like nothing. Can't hold a job. Uh, It's just a waste of space living in mom's, you know, side door of her mobile home or, or small house. He's just a waste of space. Just a loser. Absolutely. Wow. He's got no relationship. Um, he's just not doing anything for the tribe either because, you know, they expect their men to be hardworking and that's that's sure. how they raise them. And he's just not acting like any kind of normal Native American. So in, 1990, in 1966, now here's where it's weird. Two pregnant women are at a nightclub. That's weird in itself. Yeah, that's the 60s. I mean, come on. Uh, I I couldn't, I had a hard time with that one. I'm like, okay. And here's another weird part is these two women that were pregnant, it doesn't say how far along they were in their terms, but both of them were together and both of them were abducted and kidnapped by Gene, by gunpoint. Oh, wow. He would take them into an open area on the reservation where he would bludgeon them and rape them and leave them for dead. At 23 years old, dude. That's a monster in the making. Yep. He left them tied up and everything. Oh, wow. Yes. That's starting to sound like a little bit of a calling card for him. Yeah, it is, and you're on to that one for sure. But see, here's the thing. 
somehow one of them got loose, untied the other, bloodied, bloodied, beaten, raped. They made it back to town and were able to get Gene arrested. So they lived. They lived, believe it or not. Oh, man. Now, I mean, I'm glad they lived, but God, could you imagine just the pain those two were in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's unbearable to think of what he did to them. And probably they were both thinking of not only themselves, but their, their unborn children. Oh, yeah. Which, which, fortunately for them, both unborn children made it. Oh, so, thank you. So, awesome. Yeah, th- exactly. Now, here's, here's the thing. Um, do you give a guy bail with those kind of uh, with that rap sheet? Oh man, I mean, I personally wouldn't. I mean, I don't know what the law says you have to do, but me personally, no. You you beat a woman damn near to death, especially one that's pregnant, or, or you kill children. Nah, you don't deserve nothing but you know you know your 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 last say in the chair, so to speak. <laughs> well. See, that's why you're Randy and these people are Johnsons because they're like, hey, you came up with bail money? Get out of my jail. And they let him go. Wow. Beating women and leaving them for dead and yeah, he, walk the streets. That's amazing. He, yeah, it's like he, he got bail and he got out for 10. It was supposed to go to court 10 days later. That dude couldn't even wait 10 years. He automatically broke probation by breaking into a warehouse, stealing some stuff, breaking into another house, and then trying to rob a liquor store, which he was caught and sent, obviously, to jail. And he was sentenced to 305 years in prison. Wow. Which pissed off the Cherokee Nation because they figured... We own, we know white men that have been sentenced to only twenty years or less for a murder. Yet our guy gets three hundred and five years. So that was back in nineteen sixty six. So fast forward a bit, and it's nineteen seventy six, and he's serving three hundred years. There's no way he's ever going to get out. Correct. So he's been locked up for the past 10 years. Basically. Okay, gotcha. So what do you think happens next? Uh, This is the 70s. I'm guessing he busts out. You are correct, sir. He He broke out of jail with another inmate. Wow. A lot easier back then, I'd say. I think so. Yeah, there's no cameras. True. That is true. Yeah, they they uh they broke out and they were on Oklahoma's top, you know, top five most wanted men, and they survived on the run. Well, at least he did for about, or 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 his buddy did for eight months before getting caught when they split up, and he was still on the run at this point. So, so where do you think Gene was hiding out all those times? Oh man, I'm gonna say in the woods. In that cave. No oh okay. Yeah, that cave was his, his uh protection and the some of his friends, including some leaders in the Cherokee Nation, knew he busted out and they were feeding him and sometimes offering him a place to stay inside the reservation. But he'd go just outside the reservation to that um to that cave when things got a little too hot and there was threats of the police going into the reservation to look for him. Gotcha. So, and then what bugged him is those kids being so close to his tent or not tent, his cave. So, um, the, now the other guy who escaped with him would when he was caught, they were asking where would he be? What would he be up to? They they interviewed him again when he was rearrested, and he said that get this, the two had a flashlight with newspaper covering and to dim the light to not give themselves away, but they could have a bright light at least, a little small one, because they didn't have they couldn't afford one or 
you know, they couldn't go into town and buy a, a smaller flashlight, so that's why they made the light smaller. I was wondering what the newspaper was for this whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he also said that that Gene would steal glasses of any type, whether they were sunglasses or prescription from people in town, because he had poor eyesight. And his eyes were very sensitive, too, towards the sunlight. So there's that. They already know that, oh, God, is you know everything's pointing towards Gene. We have so much, you know, uh, ammunition, right? Yeah, yeah. And, it's not um, looking good for him. It's not. <laughs> and um, the autopsies come in at around this time, too, when they start, you know, interviewing other people. On the other two little girls, they were sexually assaulted. They were bludgeoned. And DNA at the time, at least they didn't know that that was DNA, but they found semen stains on a couple of the, um, uh, not comforters, but the um, sleeping bags. And uh, there was also trace blood that was left behind as well from, I guess, the assaults and stuff like that from the perpetrator. So they're feeling very confident that they could link some of this stuff towards him. Now, obviously they can't test the semen. They had just held it, but the blood, they can at least get the blood type and things of that nature. Um, so they tried to work with the tribal nations to help them find gene and they weren't cooperating. And so they were conducting their own investigations, sometimes with consent of the tribe and sometimes without. And they were hanging around this area of the residence that they got a tip. Someone finally said, hey, man, I think I seen him. He's on a he's on a house, you know, right on the border of the res. You know, he's hiding out there with with his friend. And sure enough, when he came out to take the trash out of the little house, they nabbed him right then and there. They got him. So um, that pissed off the tribal nation because obviously they were on their land and they did not get approval. So that would be something that would go to court. That would be something that would piss off both sides. Some people are like, why are you guys harboring a fugitive, a killer, a rapist? The other people are like, you guys are framing him. It wasn't him. So all this is going on while they're trying to get to the meat and potatoes of this case. So doesn't that make it hard? 1977, no DNA, no video camera, like, it's circumstantial and whatever they can grasp. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff pointed to him, but lawyers are lawyers, right? Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine how hard it was all crying back there with all that, without all that stuff, man. I mean, yeah. could you even, were fingerprints a thing back then? Yeah. Fingerprints had been around, I think since the thirties or forties, I oh. want to say. Okay. But the problem is, I mean, when you're outside, it was raining you know, fingerprint and and there's like everything's like a tent or a comforter. I mean, you're not going to find too many fingerprints like that. You know, gotcha. it's not that's like true. a house or something. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So this was going back and forth. It was the hottest topic for the longest time as they were trying to, you know, get this to. And, and there's video of them. He has to have a mob of policemen march him into the courthouse which is very 50s like in 1979 uh, at this point um, it's it's very it's very uh, or 78 uh, I believe it's very 50s like it looks like the courthouse or, or the city hall from uh, back to the future um, you know they have all the the police in those old uniforms with like the the Rick Grimes hat from Walking Dead oh yeah uh, yeah, they're, they're, you know, and they have to protect, they have to hold back one side of the community, which is the white side, and then they hold back the Native American side, and it's just this, you know, they're clashing with each other as they're bringing this guy in. Some people want to, like, stab him, so, so they're real worried, you know, that, that someone's going to lash out and, and pop this guy. You know, they want wow. him to face justice. Sure. So, um, he's escorted to the courthouse, the case gets up there. The parents um, are told, hey, when we show the pictures of the kids, um, we want you guys and the families to leave. We don't want you here to see. It's very disgusting and very disturbing. Lori's mother literally said that I seen every part of her. I birthed her. I want to see how she died. That takes guts. Yeah, it does. 
Yeah, it does. Oh man. Yeah, that that takes guts, and and, and you know, it's just it's so hard. You know, I, I couldn't imagine. So, the family, you know, denied the the judge's request and stayed in the courtroom to see everything. And um, all the evidence was pretty damning, and everything was set up. And the Native Americans were like, man, he's he's got like, this is a kangaroo court. Everything's skewed. They're going to find him guilty and all this other stuff, right? March 30th, 1979, Gene Leroy Hart was found acquitted of all charges. What? Yes. His, oh. lawyers, his lawyers hired by the Cherokee Nation basically said hey you know all you got is circumstantial evidence you can't prove that our guy was there it could have been planned everything that the prosecution put up they had massive question marks and the prosecution was like okay we tested the blood it's his type and then the native americans were like well there's also 30 to 40 other suspects that could have did it and they have the same blood type so now what what else you got and they, the jury was surprisingly on the side of Gene Leroy Hart and said, you know what? There's not enough evidence here to prosecute. Wow. Damn. Yep. So here's the, here's the conundrum. The families don't get any sense of finality. They don't get any closure. And the case now goes cold because they can't charge Leroy again because if they do it again you have that double jeopardy law mm -hmm. and he would be held scot-free so the prosecution and the attorneys the district attorney and everyone else said you know what he's already serving 300 years plus some extra for the escape he's not going anywhere we'll send him to maximum security and a lot of the families were pissed off because they were like, no, this man needs to die. He needs to get the death penalty. And they're like, we can't do it. We can't charge him for that. Yeah. So he stayed in prison. And um, he went, you know, the OSBI went over there and they tested all the counselors. They, you know, for years they, they went after these people and they were trying to see what was or who could be responsible if it wasn't gene they 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 said okay we we in our gut we think it's him he should be him but if it's not and the courts say no we have to keep going and they kept going kept testing blood at, over the years and um you know as they were doing that and reinvestigating and trying new angles new things two years later at the age of 35 what do you think happened to gene Leroy hart he died in prison. Of what? I'm guessing a heart attack. Dude, you're on it, man. You're 100%. <laughs> he was out weightlifting and he had a heart attack. Wow. In the in the in the uh, recreation area. And well, some people Yeah. Some, <laughs> some people think because of his eating habits, he had real bad eating habits plus prison food in the 70s was even worse than what oh, you were eating. Yeah, and then um, he might have been a, a diabetic or borderline, so that mm -hmm. didn't help. Nope. So, because if you look at the guy, a he's not attractive, and and b he looks like he's not the most healthiest dude. So, yeah, yeah, but uh, he 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 dies in prison, and that pissed off the family. But um, again, uh, nineteen eighty nine. They would test the blood and semen. That's when the FBI, it was one of the first cases they actually tested blood and semen in the FBI was in 1989. And this was one of the first cases that they tried. And they were able to rule out over 100 potential suspects by that time because it's 12 years later. And But they couldn't rule out a handful of people, including Gene. So... Um, the case would continue to go cold until 2009 when another uh, or 2019 when another or 2018, I'm sorry, when another cold case detective took a look at it 
and he was only a kid around the same age of those kids that were murdered at the time he heard about the case his mom wound up telling him hey you can't ride your bike because he lived in mays county mm, okay. uh, yeah you can't go out so he was traumatized as a kid he winds up becoming a police officer then a detective now he's in charge of a case that you know basically kids that should be his age by now are long gone so he takes over the case. He sends it to Virginia um, for for this uh, this FBI lab to take a look at all the evidence, and they take a look at it. And their conclusion was it was Gene Hart, and they suggested that they do a DNA test. Now, Mays County is not funded by the government, so that's going to cost thirty thousand dollars to do that DNA test in two thousand nineteen, and the police department can't afford it. It's not in their budget. Lori is at, at this time the mother of the eight-year-old uh, uh, Lori's mother I'm sorry uh, she is a motivational speaker she's done a lot of things for for uh, endangered and abused children over the years so she's big online and she raises that money in just 24 hours Wow they send the yeah wow. yeah they send the DNA to uh, to a private entity they run it and uh a billion times over it's confirmed it was gene leroy hart the entire time huh yep i mean geez i mean to see we just having all that crap in the cave yep i mean if you think about it bro with that you know 70s detective work i think they did an okay job yeah uh, yeah that's fair but how in I the mean, world? they all thought it was him too so yeah i mean like everything was right there i mean he, had he cleaned out that that uh little cave they probably if they would have tested it now they would have found out it was gene Leroy hart but obviously because uh, you know they're solving cases left and right that you know people are the murderers are dead they just solved one the other day where the guy who had killed uh, a woman uh, just randomly in 1979 he dies four years later in a car accident and he's held as all oh, a young kid that you know lost his life too young you know it's tragic she hurt that case went cold forever until this year till finally they they were able to affirm by digging up his remains and and, and matching the dna that that dude was a killer you know wow. might have killed again but you know, he 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 escaped uh, any kind of jail time because he died in a in a random car accident. But here's one where the guy dies two years into his sentence. I mean, they say he they say he suffered when he had the heart attack out in the middle of the yard. So that's something you can maybe hang your hat on. But likely, if they convict him, he dies in the electric chair. Yeah, especially back then. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, what, are you, what are your takeaways on this case, bro? I mean, it just... It sucks. I mean, you, at a time when this happened, I mean, there's there's nothing... There's nothing to help anybody, you know, try to figure this crap out. I mean, you, you literally have to have on-the-dot evidence in order to, you know, to convict these guys back then. I mean... Luckily, luckily, this guy was on the run. He was already, you know, a fugitive. He was already technically locked up. Like I said, what, serving 300 years? Yep. Yeah, so, I cool. mean, luckily there was that. So, it, you know, once they caught him, you know, at least he was going back to jail for that. But, I, you know, you just mentioned that guy that died in a car accident. You know, whether, whatever you believe in, karma whatever these they came back to bite him in the butt it got him mm-hmm. you know it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for the parents but you know at least these monsters got what they deserve but i i just i feel bad for the parents man I, they didn't they, did, they never got any real closure none no. none all the all they got was to see was was to got all that bull crap you know part of my french at the beginning with 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 not getting the information that they solely deserved 
and then finish it off by the last thing them seeing is those pictures of their daughters strangled and dead. Yeah. I mean, grandparents did not get to see the finale, finality of this case. Some, some of the parents didn't make it through. You know, uh, Lori's mom and dad are still alive. But I think one of the other uh, is either Michelle or Denise's uh, mother or father passed away without knowing. So this is a, a long time. It's like 40 years at that point. 45. Wow. So it's, it's like one of those things where it's like, man, you just... Because they, they didn't really release the... Because of COVID, they didn't give it to the public like the family knew in late 2019, almost 2020. But the case was officially solved in 2022. So, I mean, you have... That's that's still like 43 years for them. And uh, Lori's just mother... Just to go that long, unsure. Yeah. Real, you know, real affirmative answer. You know, definitive answer, I should say. Yeah, and like you said, some of these parents didn't even make it like that. That sucks. Yeah, it does suck, and it, and you know, um, that's that's the one thing that you know it's bittersweet in a lot of these because the more and more I you know I read up on these stories that are getting seemingly solved every other day, um, you know, you'll hear hey, sadly so and so's mother was not here to see she passed away a few years ago, or one that was really sad where the the father passed away just months before they found out oh, you know, finally what happened to his daughter. So um, it's rough, you know, and I think some, it's of these probably, some of these people probably went to their grave with grieving broken hearts too. Yeah. Cause Lori's mom, you know, she said her life was completely different after that. I bet. I bet. And, she, and she blamed herself for allowing oh. her to go. And that's why she dedicated, she says, I have to do something for my daughter. I have to be a positive. I have to make it up to her. So she felt that her daughter would want her to look out for other children since she couldn't look out for her. And that's what she dedicated her life to. So she's been at least a beacon that came out of this whole mess. Yeah. If, if I can say one thing to your listeners right now, man, and it's not just if you're a parent. If you have a gut feeling and you feel it in the pit of your stomach, even even if somebody just tells you you're being paranoid, screw that and screw them. You go with what your gut tells you because I would say eight to nine, 10 times out of 10, 90% of the time, your gut is right. It's always instinctual. We're humans, we're built off instincts. So if you're, if you're, if, if anything remotely is giving you a bad feeling, especially when it comes to your kids, listen to it always listen to it and, and and if it's nothing at the end of the day okay so be it it's you're better safe than sorry always listen to your gut i learned that earlier in my life man to always listen to your gut and i like i said sometimes it's nothing and that's great when it's nothing man because you can at least you know shrug it off like oh it is what it is and then move on but if, if it's something you could end up not living to, to see the next day or you lose a loved one. Always listen to yourself, folks. Always listen to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's too many of those stories that we've heard and gone over or researched where they were just like, you know, if I would have just did this or, you know, yeah. you know, it's just it's it's sad. And here's one where too many of those stories. Yeah. And that's why I brought out those those letters in the beginning because i mean those kids had no way of knowing that that was going to be some of the last things that they would ever do you know yeah. they probably goofed around a little bit for a couple hours went to sleep and they were awoken by a monster and that's it you know they were snuffed out and that's so so sad i'm wondering you're absolutely right it's super sad just even i mean if somebody you know that's just thinking about it like that's terrifying just to even think about you know i mean you, you put yourself in that position like thinking about it like if that was you like imagine what those girls were going through at the time that it was happening man like yeah. oh dude it's just it's heart-wrenching bro mm -hmm. it's heart-wrenching like like i said folks, always listen to your gut man always listen to your gut yep yep 
Well, that'll do it for our show tonight. Uh, thanks again, Randy, for filling in. We'll definitely do this again. Um, you were on the, the Erickson Twins episode. Uh, yeah. So this is your second uh, appearance on Grinding True Crimes. Yeah, that first one was pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That one had many twists to it. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, it was tone in that one. But, uh, yeah, we'll have some more episodes coming up here, too. And, again, shout-out to Matt and Gabby going through their uh, their struggles right now. We hope the yeah, best for them. Absolutely. But, uh, but again, uh, thank you, Randy, for coming in. And, and uh, you know where to find us on our podcast platforms. You know, usually Maddie Matt's the one that reads those out to you and everything. But uh, we're going to go out with a somber good night from the Grinding True Crime Studios. This is Todd Fox along with Randy Oz. Catch you on the next episode. Good night, guys. <laughs>